Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website, um, where there are plenty of, uh, I would say, uh, creatives there for you to check out for those of you who are into science fiction, fantasy, horror, art, movies, television, all of that. Um, Today is uh, September 11th which uh, I guess a day that they claim will live in infamy, uh, 2015. And our special guest today, full name, Cortez R. Law III, or III, as I read it on the thing here. Um, Cortez, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Well, appreciate it. I'm I'm glad you're here. Now, where are you coming to us from? I'm in uh, Canton, Georgia. And, And what's your weather like? Uh, hot, although it's the fall now, so it's starting to cool off, uh, which is good. But we're, we're still in the upper to mid-80s. Yeah, see, we have, it, I'm in Chicago, and normally even now, we would have, you know, some 80s, maybe even some 90s. But wow, like today, right. I think it, yeah, I think today it was like barely in the 70s. We had a little bit of rain. So, you know, we had a very cool day, which is kind of unusual for, for September, especially since climate has been changing over the years. Um, Now, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, Cortez is an author. We're going to be talking about his work in a little while. But uh, let me ask you, did you grow up there? No, I still grew up. I was born in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, and Uh I spent some time there uh, and then wind up uh, growing up in Ravenna, Ohio, at my mom's hometown. And I went to high school there, you know, junior high, elementary school, and I went to Kent State University six miles down the road and got my degree and uh, pretty much a, a Midwestern guy. But I've been down in Georgia now since uh, the summer of 88. And so I'm wow. like, well, I guess I'm a Southern guy now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, what brought you down there? You know, given, given you know, how your upbringing, where you were and stuff like that, was it, was it like, and it was after you were done with college, right? Right, right. I had an internship opportunity, uh, my uncle, uh, through IBM in their video uh-huh. production department. So uh, that's why I went down there for a year. You know, we have a lot in common, <clears throat> or at least a little bit in common. Um, okay. Well, we're both authors, but I started with IBM in 1970. Oh, but more, okay. on the, more on the programming side. Uh, I got oh, busted man. for uh, hacking into my Board of Ed's. Uh, well, I did. You know, I packed into the Board of Ed's payroll program, oh, dropped my name in there. Oh, yeah, I got three checks before I got busted. And they busted, they busted my ass good, too. So, uh, so, but back then it was different, you know, rather than being all, you know, criminally minded, litigious and things like that, they hired me instead. So that was pretty cool. You know, to be 15 years old and working for IBM, you know, two days a week was, it was the, you know, it was pretty cool. Wow. Um, But, but, but you're doing like film production, you were doing film production for them for like, uh, 
training films, TV? What what kind of stuff were you working on? Right, corporate video. Okay. Uh, there are various uh, servers, computers, those type of things in the studio. We had some things that were on the road, but mostly in the studio, corporate videos. Mm-hmm. And and uh, from, I mean, what aspect of production were you like into? Um, were you were you behind the camera? I'm I'm guessing you were, or or were you talent? Um, what did it work out to be? Oh, I was way behind the camera. I was like a grip. I was. Doing, <laughs> they had me moving stuff. Uh, you okay. know, do some tape distribution, some tape uh, duplication, um, tape cataloging. I do some things on the computer. I've had, I got to think back exactly what else I was doing. Uh, but nothing. I, I didn't advance to being a director or you know videographer or anything like that. And certainly wasn't in front of the camera. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I got a, I got some of the bare bones of what it was like to be in a corporate video. And hopefully, you know, unlike me, um, you don't have the face for radio. Um, that, that, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. I'm going to leave that one to go. Okay, well, thank I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, when people see my promo pictures, I just have to tell them, you know, that is really a testament to Photoshop. Um, so, anyway, all right, so, you know, once you start getting into that, and, yeah, so you're in the production side. You're doing all of the... I guess what we traditionally call the gopher stuff, but I mean, did you did you pick up like a desire to do video, do film, to do things like that, or or was it just a gig for you? Well, you know, I wish it were longer, but you know what? What, it, what I really had a passion for at that time was my last semester at Kent State. Next to last, it wasn't yeah, next to last semester. It was a screenwriting screenwriting class, and mm-hmm. we had like one month worth of meetings with the instructor after he gave us our assignment. We never went to class again until at the end of the class we had to turn our 90-page script in um, wow. for, the, for the grade for the class. And after that, I, I just continued to do that. I really wanted to be a screenwriter in Hollywood. That was the number one goal. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I, was it sci-fi based screen or screenwriting? Or, or I mean, what kind of genre were you interested in? Because we're, we're just kind of leading into why, you, why and how you wrote your book. But, but where, where was your interest? Yeah, it surprised me. I look back at that now. It was a lot of science fiction and, and thriller, and it was crime, of course, because I also <clears> write uh, police suspense, uh, procedural suspense novels at this time as well. But uh, uh, yeah, a lot of it was science fiction. A lot of it was in the fantastical realm. And, you know, it, as we'll get into it later on, but it kind of lay dormant up until recent times and in a right. book form. It's like, oh, it's back with a vengeance now, and I like it, so. Well, when you were growing up, were you like into sci-fi or some of the, you know, the sci-fi theme comics? Like, you know, like way, way, way back when the original Johnny Quest, that was kind of cool for me because, you know, they had a lot of sci-fi themes in that. And, uh-huh. and you know, even, even some of those puppet shows, which I think almost nobody knows about, like Stingray and uh, I can't remember some of the others because I'm really old. Like in white people years, <laughs> I'm about 184. No, seriously. So... But but when you were growing up, I mean, what kind of stuff entertained you or caught your interest? Yeah, you mentioned Johnny Quest. That was definitely one of them uh, uh-huh. on the tube. Uh, Land of the Lost. Uh, right. What was some other good ones on there like that? Um, um, well, just fantastical HR puppet stuff. Now, I don't know if you remember that one or not. You know, that I was do. Kind of corny do. now. Do you? Do you? Yeah, I was into that too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, th- those types of shows that were kind of out there, you know, on, on TV. Oh, Space Ghost. Oh, I love Space Ghost now. Yeah, yeah that was, he was good. 
Oh yes, yes, yes. All all those guys, all those DC and, and Marvel type guys, they're on they're on TV in um, cartoon form. I loved them at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and what about movies? I mean, do, were you like, did you get to go to movies? Did you get to pick out the you know the the sci-fi theme movies? Like my first movie that I saw in a theater. Oh man, this is way back there. I think like '61 was Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. You know the submarine show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the yeah, Um, and so like what I mean when you when you were went to movies when someone took you to movies when you went to movies on your own whatever, what kind of stuff were you seeing at that time? Oh, I tell you, the the first one I can remember seeing. Well, I'm sure there was some before that. That's not sci-fi though, but it scared me. I didn't want to get in the water anymore. Was Jaws. Uh, oh, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was through with Baz for a while. Uh, no, I won't talk about that. Uh, let's see what else. The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that was, that's 82. That's, that's getting a little more when I was more grown up, so to speak. But you know what? It was interesting. I was never a Trekkie and was never a big Star Wars person. That's probably blasphemy, but I never was. And to this day, I could watch the 70s Star Wars movies like they were brand new. And I wouldn't know pretty much what happened. I mean, it just well, that space uh, opera never grabbed me. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, here's the thing, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that we we manage to evolve, and you know, as culture changes, our tastes mm-hmm. change. I mean, look at mm-hmm. look at how people think that the music they grew up with during their formative years, you know, teens in the twenties, is the best music ever. And of course they're wrong because we know the best music ever was back in the '60s. Um, but, <laughs> but but no, I and I say that you know more as a joke because it's it, in your formative years it has so much more impact for you. It's more evocative. Mm-hmm. You you remember the really significant things in in your life. You know I remember you know uh, stopping everything to watch the original Lost in Space. You know, because oh, that was the show to Lost in Space. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and, oh, didn't miss that one. Yeah, or or even, you know, Mission Impossible. That was close to being sci-fi. The oh, Man from Uncle, you know, all oh. of the advanced cool gadgets out of those yeah. uh, those those TV kind of suggested shows. Um, Wild Wild West, the original Wild Wild oh, West. Oh, I see a bunch of those too. Oh, right, That right. was like steampunk right away. You know? Exactly, steampunk. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think that in a lot of cases, that that works on people subliminally, and especially mm-hmm. creatives, because you know when you're reaching back for something creative, well, well where are you going to go? Even if it's in your head, it has to have some basis. You know, there right. are some people who are really fortunate who who can dream up things that are completely. Wild, like the people who did the writing for the original Outer Limits. How do they think of stuff like that that had never been thought? No, that had never been thought of before. I forgot so about that one too. Yeah, I think I think all of that lends itself to to at least providing a framework. You know, kind of a yeah, a framework for for where our imaginings can go. Um, in my case, I take current culture and then apply one or two speculative fiction things or science fiction things to it, and then, okay, so how does America respond like that? Well, it's like Crichton did with, with Jurassic Park. Uh, you know, gotcha. I think that's one of the, mm-hmm. the classic ones where you go, well, he's got nothing really speculative in there except the ability to recombine dead DNA. 
But once you take that, you know, that's one little speculative thing, but then yeah. let's extrapolate out. Okay, so, okay, let's, what, what if a Tyrannosaurus Rex ended up in San Diego? Well, for me, um, excuse me for saying it and putting it this way, but that shit would be hilarious. Okay? Oh, man. To me, sitting in Chicago, watching on TV, on the news, that would make me buy an antenna for my TV. Because to see them chasing, but that's what it is. You take that one speculative element and the rest is real. Right. Um, And and that, I think that, I mean, obviously you want to keep your people, your readers, whatever, your your film watchers entertained, but it has to, it it can't be so wild that they have no frame of reference. Otherwise they, it's, it's like the people who went and saw 2001 A Space Odyssey and didn't know what to expect. You know, they didn't know what was going on. They couldn't keep track of, well, why, why, aren't, why aren't people giving us expository dialogue to let us know exactly what's going on? And what's that big-ass black thing sticking up in the desert? And, you know, right. if, if, you don't, if you don't have a good basis for it, um, people can get lost, and, and that works against you. Uh, other people who have are, are more open to trying to figure things out, the ones who don't need everything spoon-fed to them, then they go, oh, man, this is something new to think about. So, like, right. for you, when you started thinking about, and, and, you know, I've got the, how do you pronounce the title of your book? Because I don't want to mispronounce the acronym that you have there. Uh, Siphon. Siphon, okay. Siphon, so, uh-huh. um, yeah, and, and uh, so the book is the the... I'm I'm trying to pull all my old stuff up because I was, believe it or not, I was watching Farscape and then I fell asleep. <laughs> we won't tell them. We won't tell them. Well, I, you know, I'm an old, like I told you, I'm 184 in white man years. I need a nap in the afternoon, man. A lot of people can handle that. You know, I, I, I doze off. So um, for the Siphon novel, um, give us, can you give us a little bit of information about kind of like the overall arc of the story, the plot of the story, so that we could start from there. Okay. Well, I'll try to do it without giving up too much information. No, no, that's exactly but, uh, it. Don't give it up. But yeah, tell, us, yeah, yeah. tell us the genre. Tell us kind of how you thought of, you know, the plot that you thought of. Because, see, that's mm-hmm. basically where the story starts. What was, mm-hmm. the, what was the basis for the story? Okay. Well, in a nutshell, uh, it's just a team, and I can say this much because I, I have it online, you know, YouTube, YouTube, just describing the, the story, you know, the, the video itself. But uh, basically, a group of uh, Delta Force operators have to stop some terrorists from uh, releasing a weapon of mass destruction. At the same time, they have to combat a new enemy that could destroy both of them, both groups of people. And the genesis was really four things. I dealt with one issue already in one of my uh, police procedural suspense books, the issue okay. of terrorism. It's not going away. Okay. I mean, I know this nation is battle-weary. I get it. But these people are coming after us, and they're not going to stop. And I, whatever administration is in power, whoever's in Congress, whoever's in the Senate, the, the citizens of this nation, we have to understand that these people are not going to quit. So I mm-hmm. want to deal with mm-hmm. that again. That's one. Number two, I mentioned the WMDs. That's something that, you know, that's we're seeing that theory has been accused of using chemical warfare overseas, and, you know, right. that's, that, that's going to be an issue. The other two issues uh, I'll touch on even more lightly than I just did with the other two because they're kind of like the real thrust of the whole story. 
But mm-hmm. I want to deal with this issue of drones. We're seeing that more and more uh, right. in the news. And also our use of nuclear power and what to do with the fallout with it. So those are the four major threads running through it in the midst of this science fiction thriller, action-adventure, horror type of uh, scenario. You, you think you covered enough genres there? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I keep it science fiction and thriller. I start thinking, but you know, it's a, I just want to throw two more up in there, too. It's four there. Well, and, I mean, it, it sounds very much to me like, like it's, it's just a speculative fiction drama with some speculative elements into it, but it is a drama, wouldn't you call it? Mm-hmm. A science yeah. fiction thriller. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, for those people who are logging in, and especially for those people who don't listen to this live, I just put a, a link to the trailer in there, and shame on you for not being here listening live. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so, you know, you kind of explain the basis for why, you know, you, you, you've had interest in all of those different areas. Um, you know, what What is it that made you sit down and say, hey, I'm going to write a book? Because that's a big damn deal, okay? You know, right. it's not easy to write a book. I think we know of infinitely more people who have started a book who haven't finished one. Right. So, so you know, for you, you know, I could see going from script writing to doing novels. Is that how it went for you yeah. to get to this, to, to this novel? Yeah. I, for the better part of 10 years, I was trying to crack Mount Hollywood uh, with my screenwriting. And, you know, the early efforts, of course, like, you know, any early efforts from any kind of writing, any kind of medium, you know, whatever, it's not going to be real good. Um, so I got better at the end and I uh, got an agent to submit something to some, some people that might have done something with it, but it still wasn't good enough. So I just kind of right. took a step back and just said, okay, you know, well, you know, maybe it's not that part of the creative aspect I need to be involved in. What about the medium of novels? What about the publishing industry? So I did some studying about that. And, uh, you know, and just did it, you know, went from there. And as I said before, you know, science fiction, thrillers, crime, police, those genres pretty much stayed the same, just changed the medium, that's all. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, different crimes, I mean, there's a lot of cool ways to intermingle different means mm-hmm. for, for all of those because, I mean, mm-hmm. Some of these crimes that we never would have thought of. Whoever would have thought of going in a movie theater and trying to kill everybody? Oh, jeez! Oh, jeez! You know, when you when you yeah. think about what you know, people's minds and and they've got to there's got to be some some sick, twisted stuff inside of somebody to think of it. Yes. Let alone do it. I mean, it's fine to think about it because that makes for some good horror. I mean, think about the what I mean, look what what's his name? Like you said, uh, was that Spielberg who did uh, Jaws? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look what he did to look what Alfred Hitchcock did to make women stop taking showers. <laughs> right. Right. You know, right. for like for two generations, women would watch that and just stay the hell out of that shower. Um, and 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 Spielberg did the same thing with a really bad animatronic shark. But but it's the way you build suspense, and it's the yes. way you tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 for you, you know, do. You, do you have any early influences that you can point to where you said, man, that genre is, I mean, that's right where the sweet spot where I want to be, or were you thinking in terms of it would be great to be able to scare people like the masters did? Um, what what kind of pushed you into 
that kind of screenwriting at the beginning because that we we all we both know that that's very very hard to do. It's very yeah. hard to write a good suspenseful script because the moment you start using common memes to help people understand what's going on, then your script becomes kind of predictive, you know. Mm-hmm. Good point. And then point. and then you have the black folks in the theater going, "Nigga, don't open that door." You know you're not supposed to be in that house, you know, or, or whatever they want to say, and and see that's the thing you you denature your own suspense and your own storytelling by relying too heavily upon well-known memes. So I mean, when you when you were finding that you were you were not picking up the acclaim or you were getting the rejections you were getting, were people expressing to you what it was, or was it just not you just didn't have enough experience? Well, uh, you know, it's funny. The biggest I can recall now, the biggest complaint from agents that I was getting at that time was with the, still a deal with the with screenwriters today. You don't want to do it was having thick, big blocks of text, you know, description, uh, action you're describing, uh, you know, whether somebody's doing exposition. something or yeah, that exposition, yeah, 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 all of that, yeah, just you know, seven, eight, nine, ten lines. I mean, oh my goodness, you know, they see that nowadays. I'm understand they'll throw that in the trash and it's on to the next one. But it's interesting because you can do that in a novel, you know, so right. you can be as descriptive as you want to with the purple prose and all the rest of it. So I think that's part of the attraction, too, at that time, uh-huh. I just switching because I was not having success. But I think I had a chance to kind of be a little more leisurely, so to speak, so to speak now in my storytelling with a, with a novel. And being influenced by, uh, you know, the big brawny action stars coming up in the 80s, man, the Schwarzeneggers and the Stallones and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, the Gibsons. And then later on, you know, Denzel gets in there and Wesley and, and Will Smith and all those guys. So I think a lot of that early on influenced me when I first got into uh, the types of scripts on writing and, and the types of books I, I started to write off. I started to write in the beginning as well. Well, there, I mean, there's native excitement there because, you know, mm-hmm. if you're doing – you know, even as crappy a movie as Wild Wild West was, Will Smith still pulled it off as a Will Smith vehicle, and, yeah. and you know he he got the acclaim for it. They did the the two different videos from it. You got to see uh, what's her name's butt. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot oh, of little geez. elements that make it that mm-hmm. make it attractive. But I mean, it, writing I, writing for that kind of genre is tough because one of the yeah. things that uh, I've noticed is. First of all, the the shots are only, you know, uh, what, six, seven seconds long on average in a movie like that. And, yeah, and it, I can't, you know, I, I'm a decent screenwriter, but I would not tackle that genre myself because I don't think I'm good enough to do that. I'm I'm a little better with character-driven stuff. I'm I'm better with comedy because mm-hmm. if you do comedy well, comedy has its own timing, which can supersede, you know, that – that that frenetic having to tell the story, that shotgun aspect of boom, 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 boom. It has yeah, to go out yeah. there that fit that fast. Yeah. That's um, true. Now now when you when you started doing your, your novel, tell us a little bit about how how did you formulate the story? We know the aspects, but when when you thought about putting together a plot um, are you character driven? Are you situation driven? Like there are some people who say, you know, I, I come up with a great character, a great idea for a character, and then I'll write a story around them. Or, and in my case, I cut up, come up with a great plot and a, and a really, really good ironic ending, and then I'll write, you know, 500 pages to get to that. Um, for you, what kind of style do you use to try to get from, you know, 
start to finish? Yeah, I like to start with a, as, as solid as I possibly can, an idea, a log line, a premise, a high-concept idea if I can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a, uh, and I plot, I plot my, uh, I plot my books. They're they're too long, too big for me to. And some people are pantsers, you know. They can just go, you know, right off the top and just let it rip, you know. I, I did a lot of that with the screenwriting, but I'm more of a plotter, uh, planning ahead of time with my books. And but I start with that idea, and you know, sometimes a, a strong character or a certain type of character I want to write about might kind of morph right along with that idea. But for me, it usually starts with that that idea, and then it's, everything springs from that. That's that's the key for me. Well, that's pretty cool. So you you would probably characterize what you do as more character driven, um, in terms of how you move the story along. You know what? <laughs> and I'm and I'm, I'm I like apologize. To... I'm not trying to pigeonhole you because you know we all write differently, and sometimes right. even two different books that I would write would be written two different ways. Right. But, but, right. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, you know, what how the flow is, you know? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I try, I, I, and it's hard because most writers are like, they're really exceptional with the characters or they're really right. exceptional with the story, the plot, you know? And I want to be both. I think we all want to be both. It's like you want to have critical acclaim, but you want to make the cash registers ring as well, you know? And a lot of times you can't do, you can't do both <laughs> of them, you know, sometimes, you know? <laughs> so I, I really want to be an excellent plotter, an excellent uh, character creator as well. But, right. uh, you know, I, I want to I want to say that I'm, I'm able to blend both. I think, you know, I, I just everything comes off that idea. But I think I have the people in the stories that 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 pull people along to the end that they want to see and they want to get to the end of, of what happens and see how these people's lives are changed or not changed or what have you, how justice is does it prevail is is it thwarted you know what what whatever the the genre is whatever the story is whatever the issue is you know they want to does see whatever what that deserves it is. gets it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, it, well, I mean, it, dude, that's you know, that's uh, a lot of people like that revenge stuff. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be seeing. Well, I don't want to talk about the Lorena Bobbitt story, but um, oh, anyway, no, no, no. <laughs> but, okay, so <laughs> all right, so it sounds like your writing is pretty procedural. You you start off with great characters. You know, they they manage to do what you want them to do. Um, they do surprise and, and me sometimes, so, though. Well, yeah, I think everybody runs into that. You know, I'm not <laughs> yes, serious, yes. man. I mean, people, yeah. how many writers have you talked to and they said, well, you know, I was going along and then so-and-so kind of did something that I wasn't really planning. But it, right. it, it obviously to your subconscious, it made sense for the character. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, it, are your books, or excuse me, is the book like an, an ensemble um, kind of uh, staging for your writing? Do you have lots of characters doing, you know, different subplots, or, or can you kind of stick with the one and then move it forward effectively? You know, as far uh, as you well, know. Yeah, well, this, this, this particular story, Siphon's got, uh, you know, the five main guys, uh, right. good guys, if you will. Uh, but this story was different for me because I told it from uh, one point of view. And okay. normally I'll have my others, my, my police procedurals, they're like, you know, three, four, five. I think I even had six briefly, one point of view, a point of views in one book. This was different. This was just one point of view. Uh, so it's an ensemble, but you only get, you know, one POV uh, running through the entire story, uh, kind of holding uh-huh. everything together. 
And uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a challenging balance, though. That that was really different. I was like, don't need to break off and get into somebody else's head right now. And no, you got this one dude. You got to take him to the next. You can't look. Everything's coming through him. You, that's that's how it is. You got to do it. So it it was strange. <laughs> it was strange. You know, and and doing something in first person, I think, is a little bit harder than. Well, I think it's definitely harder than doing it uh, third person. Because well, you know it, what, and this it, was actually third. I haven't gone first, but that would be a challenge down the road too. I haven't gotten first person yet. So yeah, I got to take that challenge like yet. Sound, okay, well, <laughs> my mistake. But, no, 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 no. Okay. I, I I can't do first person, at least not yet. I don't think I'm good uh, as good a uh, good enough writer to do it, because the hard part about that is if if you're in one character's head and that's the perspective of the, of all the writing then anything that happens outside the purview of that character is tough to write about. You know, if you, you either find out about it after the fact or, or somebody tells you, oh, you know, Mickey got killed, don't you? What? You know, that sort of thing. But yeah. um, I, don't, I don't think I'm disciplined enough to be able to do that myself. Um, let me ask you this. Are you thinking about this being a one-off or do you think this might be a series? Have you given any thought to that? Yes, I get a lot of thought to that. There's several ways and several directions it could go, and I'm really not sure, to be honest, which way I'm going to go with it. Uh, the way it uh-huh. ended is kind of a way. I can't say it. Stop, stop, stop. But uh, I just, no, no, just, no, don't just, give it away. A bunch of different don't yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't. Just a bunch of different ways I can go with it, but I'm excited about all of them. There's <laughs> about at least two, three ways I could go, and uh, I like them all. It's just a matter of picking which one. You know, actually, which the ones I don't pick, maybe that could be part of a trilogy. You know, it just you just never know. It won't be wasted. Mhm. Um, and and then um, excuse me for asking, but you know, there's not a lot of you that I can research on the internet, and I really shouldn't be digging into your criminal past or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> is this is 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 this your first novel that you've done all the way through? Uh, no, uh, the, the uh, police procedural suspense uh, crime novels I was alluding to. Those are the first. Well, actually, you know what? This is actually the fifth. Siphon is the actual overall fifth. Okay. The overall fifth. Uh, the very first one was one that came out in 2001 called uh, My Brother's Keeper, which is a uh, Christian romance. The next okay. one was uh, 2000. It took a long time. It's going to take this long, but 2010, uh, I did uh, The Serialist, which was the first of the Atlanta X-Men Homicide Unit books. And then 2014 was the sequel to that, Kremlin Tide. And then this year, April, I put out the third book in the series called Cold Lick. Wow. Yeah. So, Are all so, of these on uh, Amazon? I'm trying to find a link for you. Uh, yes. Uh, Kremlin and Cold Liquor, yes. Not not my brothers. That was kind of a – that was my, one of my stillborn babies. That was my stillborn baby. That was kind of a – everything was kind of going good until a certain point. Then it kind of uh, – and took a left. I said, like, okay, I guess we won't be trying to do anything with that one. Let's put that aside and move on. Well, and, and you know, the the cool thing about writing is you can come back to it. True. You know, if, but if that, that baby's exactly, dead. That baby's oh, dead. Is it that, oh, I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> was, was it a was it a well uh, well attended funeral, or did you just get buried in the backyard? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think a few folks shed some tears, and I said, "We're done with this too, sir." Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's go get let's go get drunk. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're done. We're, we're going to move on now. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, whoever, whoever just called in, please mute your damn phone. Uh, thanks. Um, so, anyway, um, let's talk about 
uh, where you think you're, I mean, where you think you're going to be going next. Well, no, you know what's interesting? You mentioned a Christian romance. Was that mm-hmm. the first one? That you, yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, because, I mean, that's not something that we normally talk about, you know, in terms of sci-fi fiction or horror, although, you know, romances can be horror if you, you <laughs> don't do them right. But but where? why did you start there? Well, I tell you, um, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting. You talked about earlier about how things evolve, how you evolve. Right. Um, early on when I got into the literary game, it was just at the time when the, the black renaissance in the, in the publishing business was hitting. And that was like the okay. early 90s. Terry McMillan, was, she, she blew oh, the roof sure. off. That opened the door right there. Everybody flooded in there. Now, you know, my goodness. And I was reading a lot of the, what they called back then, I guess they may still call it now, the sister girl novels. He right. said, she said, she loves me, loves me, not, she loves me, she loves me, not that type of thing. So, I mean, from, from, from Terry Mack to her sister Rosalyn to uh, Eric Jerome Dickey to, oh, man, goodness, to Connie Briscoe. I mean, I read a lot of those, and I was influenced by that. So, so My Brother's Keeper was basically a story of four brothers in love with one woman. Oh, man. Yeah, and it was an old man, too. It sure was. And, no good uh, can man, come man, from that. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm trying to think it was a three or four. I think it was four. And, okay. uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what it was. It was influenced by that. And, you know, and, you know I mean, just, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, uh, William, too. I, I think about this a lot. Those the black writers that do anything outside of the Sister Girl novel have a rough time. And I know this going in with what I want to write is not the status quo. Right. Um, Oh, I was thinking about something else and just was slipped right up out. Oh, goodness. Um, shoot, 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 well, here, here's shoot, the shoot, thing. Shoot, I mean, shoot. no, people can't be criticized for writing in a popular genre. I mean, look right. how many people write about vampires. Look how many people write about oh, werewolves. Oh, look how many people write about, you know, zombies. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, there's the tendency to think, well, you know, I like this, but I can do it better. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that right or wrong, whether someone can do it better or not, the fact that they go ahead and give it a shot is pretty laudable. You know, you, you can't be criticized for giving it a shot. Right. I mean, you could be criticized for having an ego far in excess of your talent. But, right. but the fact that if you say, you know, I would really like to tell this story better, Unfortunately, sometimes you get this this uh, fan fiction crap like Fifty Shades of Grey, which all of a sudden breaks out, makes millions of dollars, My and you say to yourself, as a serious writer, how how can that happen to me? How can how can that that's and and that's what I call the lightning effect. You know, you can get hit by lightning in in yeah. the writing industry. Yeah. But it doesn't. But it's hard. It's hard to happen, and it's so fickle. And there's no process to it. You know, there's no, there's, if there, there's no, if you start at A and end at Z, you will have that many sales. Um, right. And, um, so when, when you start, when you did that, you know, when you said, okay, I'm going to write this love, this uh, romance, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go ahead and, 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 you know, try to play in this playground, um, what, what were the things that you learned along the way, both in writing the story and in, um, you know, in, in trying to become uh, a, someone of note in that genre? Well, that was the first effort, and 
it was raw. Um yeah. but there was there was there was there was there was passion, there was there was emotion on the pages, you know. Um I did all the requisite reading of the the writing books, you know, and, and practice my craft, maybe some, some smaller uh short story or some just some you know, scenes or some types of things to just kinda get my you know, the screenwriting really helped. I mean, that, that really did help, uh, even though it's, it's a much shorter work than any novel for the most part. Um, I think just structure, you know, the beginning, middle, end, three acts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it just the basics, it really helped the basics, you know. It for really the discipline. Did. Yeah. For attaining the discipline. discipline of doing yes. it. Okay. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And that's, that's where it started. I think the screenwriting helped. And, and uh, it wasn't bad. It just... It it needed it needed quite frankly it needed some editing help. Um, when I got the book back, uh, the print was microscopic. I remember one bookstore owner said, "Why in the world is the print so small?" I said, they said they were trying to save me money. I was like, "Oh, right. so they messed that up." And if you look on online, you know, the cover, the, the, the <laughs> I hope these guys aren't listening, but <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. But I was the victim of nepotism, William. <laughs> <laughs> the guy said, oh, really? oh, I can do this. No problem. Oh, I really was. I really was. He said, oh, he's a relative of the, of the guy that was kind of doing the project for me. He said, I can do this. I came back. Half the books were right. Another half the books looked like octagon stop signs. I said, oh, no, no. I can't do this. What are you, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And, and I didn't know easy. the recourse. No. And, you know, the recourse would have been, look, you guys, print this again for me. I didn't know what to do. So I had half of them I could use. The other half I could. And that's one of the reasons why I shut it down. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, and and sometimes you know we're lucky enough to find out that this is not our forte. Um. <laughs> one of the hardest, dude. One of the hardest things for me when I I wrote my first book was I had a love scene in it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and and so you know in my distant distant past you know as a teenager. You can't write a love scene with, like, uh, Dear Penthouse, I never realized this sort of thing would happen to me, but when the pizza lady brought the pizza by, by, that's not going to get you anybody to read you, you know, because that's not right. And and so there there are, you know, I I did the same thing as you did. I read the books on writing, you know, and and from the better people who I found out about and, and tried to adopt what it was that I was thinking, what it was that I was planning, what it was I was, you know, going to do in a plot, well, what, how do you pl- plan that out, given that mm-hmm. these are the good ways to write, and you don't know the good way to write because you've never written before. So it, it's not as, e- it's definitely not as easy as anybody would ever think. You know, and I do, I, I have people come to me and say, you know, I, uh, and most of them want to do like some autobiographical thing or semi-autobiographical they go, you know, I want to wow. tell the story story of my life because I've had such an interesting life that I think, you know, other people should read it. And I'm going, well, how, how do you figure that when you're boring the hell out of me just standing here? Um, <laughs> well, that's the other thing. You have to have a story yeah. to tell. Whether, right, it's, whether right. it's fiction or nonfiction, you still have to have a story to tell. And I think that's that's where the the best that's the best proving ground for being a writer. You know, you have to be a good storyteller. And so right. what figuring for me, it was figuring out, okay, and, and I'm, I'm, I am no expert, but how do you figure out the best means of going about telling a story, telling it in a compelling way, putting together 
not just a story, but, but, but believable people who, when folks are reading, they want to turn the page because they're invested in what they're reading and they like the story. And, oh, I wonder if, uh, well, like going back to your, to your um, the, the romance novel, you know, is so-and-so going to find out that they're being betrayed? You know, mm-hmm. is uh, <clears throat> is so and so going to finally, you know, uh, tell the other so and so how they really feel instead of keeping keeping it to themselves and and torturing themselves? You know, yet you want people to have those kinds of inner discussions because those are the things that make them come back and those are the things that invest people in your characters. And and right. so when you're learn when you're learning those lessons as you were going along. You know, you take a look at, well, tell us, you've got, uh, let's see, you've got volume two, volume three, uh, there's got to be a volume one right here, but in your in your Crimson Tide series. Oh, Kremlin Tide, or, uh-huh. Kremlin Tide, or, uh-huh. you know, I guess it would be more like the X and Case Files, but, I mean, in, in the first, well, I see two, they had to have one, right? Well, you know what? That one, I had done a small print run, a hardcover print run in 2010, and never went okay. online with anything, just sold it, you know, hand, <clears throat> what have you, that type okay, of thing. And, but, you, uh, but you've got two and three in here, volumes two and volume three. Which, yeah. When you do that, there's some carryover, right? What was the carryover? Right. Was it the situation, was it the locale, or was it the characters that carried over? Right, characters and location, definitely, yeah. Okay. And and so when you do that, when you did that, you were creating a series. And, and what were the kinds of things that you were thinking in terms of having a broader multiple-volume arc? Because people who do series think differently than people who write one-off stories. Okay, yeah. And I, I was on one of my uh, Facebook groups the other day, and she was talking about uh, – a lady wrote something online about, uh, about you know, standalones, how great they were. And they are, and I like them too. But just in terms of dollars and cents, series is good business. You know, if people like that very first one, you can get them hooked on that very first one. You know, they'll they'll look forward to seeing what you have after that. You know, and and personally, I I just I love I love these uh, homicide detectives. I really I mm-hmm. love spending time with them. And I said, man, I don't want them to end after just you know one adventure or two adventures actually. You know, I, I wanted to you know continue. I, I mean, I've got many more stories for them than just wanting to be a you know accepted in the marketplace so I can continue to bring those out. But I just, I know the locale here and it's in Atlanta and, and I love these, these characters. I want to see what more, what uh, other kind of uh, situation I can put them through. What come, what kind of uh, growth will they, will they mm-hmm, experience mm-hmm. or not experience? You know, I just, all of that, you know, so I wanted to con- continue. And like I said, I've got lots of stories, lots of situations for them to, to get themselves involved in, for them to and investigate. So, so I love it. Yeah. It's, it sounds like from the beginning, you planned it to be a series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely and, had ideas. And, yeah. Yeah. And and let me ask you this: of the people who you know are reading it, did it work? Did what you did work? Did you did you write compellingly enough? I don't know if compellingly is a word, but did you write a compelling enough story that that you got your desired effect from what you can tell? And I know sometimes you can't tell for a few years, but um, what kind of feedback did you get? you know, putting together a series? Um, so far, so good. I mean, you know, uh-huh. it, it, a lot to learn about, uh, you know, marketing is always, it, I hear all the time, the writing is the easy part. Well, I, I see what they're saying now because marketing is, is a monster. Um, but critical acclaim has been very strong. I mean, reviews uh, that I've had for both books have been very good. 
Uh, there's still mm-hmm. some to come. So I think people are enjoying, you know, what they're reading, and uh, and, and and I have put more to give them, I'll tell you that. That's great. Now, you said you love homicide detectives. Did you – what kind of <laughs> – you know, what kind of research did you do? Did you do some ride-alongs? Did you check out some crime scenes? Did you see some dead folks? Um, or or is, do you really have that, that good of research skills and imagination that you were able to paint those pictures without having to do something like that? I did talk to a, a homicide detective. I went into the Atlanta uh, APD uh, mm-hmm. and I talked to him. And uh, he showed me around a little bit, gave me some information on paper, and answered my questions. And uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of internet research, a lot of book research too. Uh, so it's kind of a combination of different things um, that that helped. And you know, and and you mentioned the imagination. I have that too. So all that came together and created the uh, the X Men series, uh, case file stories. And and go ahead, uh, describe describe kind of like the background of it, because obviously when you when you have X-Men in the title, people tend to think certain things. So um, yeah, give us a little, yeah. yeah, give us a little, a little bit of background on it, so people kind of know what to look for or what they're getting into if if they do get into the books, the series. Right, it has nothing to do with uh, Wolverine and, <laughs> and and Storm and all those folks. What it actually uh-huh. was, it's 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 the main character. It's referring to the main character. His name is Malcolm Xavier Hobbs. Well, Malcolm X. And his father and his mother were strong advocates of civil rights, uh, you know, during the 60s. And uh, matter of fact, Malcolm's brother was Adam Clayton Hobbs, Adam Clayton Powell. So that's really what it refers <laughs> to, the, the civil rights era and, and that strong black perspective they grew up with in a house and that type of thing. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely not, not the, the Marvel comic heroes, not at all. <laughs> and and what's, what's kind of like an age-appropriate uh, range for people to read it? You know, it, what, can young adults read this without, you know, their parents objecting to it? Or, what, what, you know, what was your focus? Oh yeah, it's 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 uh I wouldn't say it's today's PG thirteen, but the nineteen eighties and nineties PG thirteen. Uh, I don't mm-hmm, think it's mm-hmm. uh, gratuitous with any gore, un- unnecessary gore. Now you have to have some element of violence, some element of threat of violence. He's writing right. about police to crime stories, so but uh, there's no profanity in the stories. I know some people, uh, you know, I mean that's 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 part of the world. I get it, and you can find stories like that, uh, you know, more R rated, but I, I'm much more PG, more PG thirteen about that and uh so yeah i mean if you're you're a teen on up i mean you can i mean even like 14 i mean it's, it's not gonna be something that you haven't the, the stuff our, our kids are seeing nowadays are you kidding me they were probably well yeah shoot. but you don't <laughs> you don't want to write for reality no, you no, want to no. write for the illusion we want to keep for ourselves you know yeah, yeah. I, I i read a study just a little while ago and what it was was it was interviewing women to find out when their first exposure to uh, adult movies was, and all of them were were girls in the age of ten to fourteen. You know, they're seeing stuff on the internet. You know, getting their looking at their parents' movies, and and you don't want to. You don't. I mean, it's reality. Let's be honest. Uh-huh. There is there is no difference in teen sexual behavior today than there has been in about the last at least few thousand years. That's disturbing <laughs> to parents. No, it's disturbing to parents because you don't want to think that what you think is outrageous right now is business as usual. Nobody wants to think that. Um, so the, uh, 
when when you when you write, you want to write for for how we want to pre, pre, uh, how do we say it? Preserve our delicate sensibilities <laughs> rather okay. than necessarily necessarily write for the the real. And you know, like in my books, I don't have a whole lot of swearing, and you know. Though there's a lot of black folks in them, you know, there's not a whole lot of. I I, I doubt that I use the N word more than maybe less than a handful of times over three books. Uh-huh. But but you want to write a style that is authentic enough that people get, you know, they feel like they're getting the flavor. And like right. you said, it's homicide. You know, homicide right. isn't always neat and pretty. No, you know, not no, everybody no, gets no. to drink a bunch of drink drink uh, drink their uh, their whiskey on top of a whole bunch of pills and have that let's go to sleep and die kind of thing, you know. Right. Um, right. So so there's got to be a level of realism, and and when you approach that realism, what you're saying is you you're very careful not to be so gratuitous about it, so right, that people get the flavor of what's going on, but it's there. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. And and you obviously like kind of like the detective genre. Um, do you write current time? Do you kind of you know skirt into noir? Um, what's what's the what's the background? Is it today today's kind of homicide uh, going yeah, on? Yeah, very modern, very much. Yeah, very much today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and are you comfortable with that? Or you know, you've never given given any thought to doing period pieces? I mean. Uh, not really, but I'd say I, I enjoy Walter Mosley. He does it. He does it pretty well. <laughs> he does it pretty yeah, well with, with Easy Rollins and Mouse and, and the boys, and uh, and I think of Fearless Jones and Paris Minton. So yeah, I, I'm gonna leave that to him. But uh, no, I'm I'm pretty 21st century. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. And and what other? I mean, you mentioned kind of like uh, you know, your latest is has has the sci-fi elements in it. Um, and you you also mentioned that your earlier influences were the kind of television that you saw, which we I mean we went over some of those shows. Um, it, I find it absolutely hilarious, hilarious that they're redoing The Man from Uncle as movies, which oh, shows you and just you know how. It, it, and it bombed too, William. It bombed. I know. Yeah, oh, because nobody you know why? I mean, I didn't go. The audience well, is too old for that the, now. That yeah, the man's uncle right. audience, they're in their seventies, sixties and seventies. Right, How you right. know? And 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 to think that that would automatically translate just because they had some newer, younger actors in it probably was not a good idea. Um, yeah. At least with comic books, comic books have a timeless nature because right. <clears throat> these characters have been around for forty, fifty years. Well, yeah. 30, 40, 50 years. Yes, I'm um, with you. I'm so, with you. Yeah. Um, and what kind of, what other, you know, you did the sci-fi elements here, um, for, uh, Siphon, um, Mm -hmm. what, what other kinds of genres, I mean, where are you interested in going now? You've got that one out. Are you working on something currently? Yes. Um, probably next spring, if all goes well, I mentioned the 2010 uh, X-Men series, the very first one this, that was called The Serialist. I think I'm right. probably going to bring that back out as a prequel in, in spring. I'll probably put a new title on it and uh, look it over and see if I need to make any kind of changes on it. And then hopefully this time next year, I'll have the sequel to Siphon. It's kind of like uh, you know the, the police crime stories in the spring and, and then the fall, we got the sci-fi thriller. So I'm going to see if I can do 
do two of those a year. Wow. Um, and about how many words are we talking per novel? Uh, you know, that's interesting, too. I, I think because I had the single point of view with Siphon, it was just under 70, and the two two crime police books were like 105, mm-hmm. 108, something like that. But, you know, like I said, they had multiple POVs, so that, that helps expand it, you know. Well, you're talking to somebody who doesn't I – mean, I think I'm a little too wordy. You know, okay. When you talk about two, 220 to 250,000 words. Oh, book. man, you got two books in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I know, I know. And, and, you know, I, I know that, and I have, uh, I have trouble sometimes doing a short story because uh-huh. I don't uh, – short, obviously, is not my forte. <laughs> but I mean that, that. But no, those are yours. Your sizes are completely accessible because you know it's long enough to get a good story in, but it's short enough that you don't wind up boring anybody. You know? Yes, yes, sir. Um, and and uh, let's see, where are we for time? Oh, we're doing good. Um, I I do have a question about the creative process. I mean, as you're writing along, do you pretty much know where the plot is going to go? Or do you have, you know, do you have those moments? We, we kind of mentioned it at the beginning. Do you have those moments where somehow the action might get away from you because your characters want to do, you know, different things? When, when you have your plot laid out and maybe even your ending, kind of pending um, as you're writing is does it come easily to you because you know where you're going or does it is it more like well this is what these people are doing given the circumstances you see what I'm saying it's yeah. like short term yeah. versus long term goal uh huh uh huh yeah as, as a plotter I know where I want to go but again they, you know characters can surprise you I usually get there. I mean, I'm usually not so far from left field. I'm wondering, like, okay, how did I get here? It's not a real bad place to be, but I really don't think I want to stay here. It's not one of those mm-hmm. type of deals. It might be just, you know, one degree to the right or left. It's like, okay, that's that's a nice little twist on things. That's not bad. But it's usually not very far from where I want I want to I actually want to be, though. So it's not 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 mm-hmm. bad, not too bad. But, I mean that's good. And and are you a singular writer? Do you write by yourself? Do uh, do you have people who kind of help you with the story? Most people I think are singular writers, but they, you know, like sometimes I used to bore the hell out of my friends, and they wouldn't answer my phone call after 10 p.m. <laughs> well, they knew. Hey, uh, uh, dude. Hey, Will, can I, you I, let, let, let me let me read let me read this to you, man, just real quick. You know, and and that. <laughs> I may have lost some friends back in 2001. I don't know. There's a couple people I haven't heard from. Some people left Chicago and oh, moved no. to the West Coast. You, so, you didn't um, run you them know, off to the left coast. I, you know, I'm, I don't know. They won't tell me. They don't return my calls. So, but I mean, for for you, how is the writing process? How's the creative process go? Is this is this kind of like a singular endeavor for you? Um, do you need quiet? Uh, you know, tell tell us a little bit about what what your, your, you know, your actual creative process is. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just me. I, I'm not James Patterson. I don't know how he does it, uh, but it <laughs> works for him. 
Oh my goodness, I don't know how he does it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's just me. Uh, it's quiet. Uh, you know, I don't have music going. Uh, I might do that uh, when I'm, you know, doing some social media work or maybe doing mm-hmm, some marketing mm-hmm. things. But the creative process, man, it's just it's just me and that blank screen. Uh, any hard copies I might have in front of me, and uh, man, I'm following that cursor and my brain and my imagination is going, and uh, that that's it. It's just just Cortez Law the Third. And and when you're in full-on writing mode for for a particular book, about how many hours a day do you think you spend writing, or is it more like spread over more over a week? Or tell us a little bit about that. Oh, let's see. You know, my goal some time ago used to be. I see now that it wasn't enough. Was just to get three pages a day, and mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be happy. You know, I mean that's that's probably about. About 250 pages of uh, words a page, about 750 mm-hmm. total. You know, some days I might squeak out two. Some other days I might rip 10 or 12 on it. You know, but uh, hours that could be anywhere from four to six, seven hours. It just depends. A first draft uh, usually will take me probably about two, three months if I'm on it every day. And my discipline's mm-hmm. pretty good. You know, I don't, I don't go like you know weeks at a time where I'm not touching unless I'm you know. I don't have a lot of writer's block, um, but usually about two, three months for a first draft, usually closer to two, about ten weeks, two and a half, two and a half months. I'll, I'll let that sit. And one of the things that writers need to do when they get done with that first draft, and, and you're a writer, Will, William, you know, those first drafts can be pretty ugly sometimes. You know, you, oh, need, yeah. you need to get oh. you need to get away from it. You just have to get away. <laughs> some guys, some people can some you know, there's some writers that will edit the next day what they did the day before. That is not me. When I write, well, I'm, I'm straight ahead. I don't look back yeah, until I get done with it. I think a lot of that has to do with experience, too. Um, because it, once you have a process down, then, then you're, you know, if you become a slave to your process, probably you're going to have a much, much better outcome. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, I, I write big-ass books. Everybody jokes about it, but I write big-ass books. I don't think I've written okay. a book yet that isn't like at least 500 pages. Okay. But no, but the way I do it is very methodical. Um, yeah. I treat it, you know. I've told people this. I treat it like a part-time job. So, like every night, you know, if when I'm in full-on writing mode, 10 p.m., I stop whatever I'm doing and I get on the book, and I start writing or editing for at least three or four hours, and that's right. how you finish, you know, a, a 500-page book in five six months because. Mm-hmm. Anything you treat as a part-time job is going to get completed. And I, I do have friends and, and who say, I've been working on a book. And I go, well, how long have you been working on it? Oh, man, I started about 10 years ago. And I go, well, oh, what's no. keeping you from finishing? Well, he says, well, I got kids, I got a wife, I got my job, I got this, I got that. And, and I do understand those people who maybe can't just kick into full-on oh, writing true. mode that's without – without the distractions, you know, because that's yeah. tough. When you have, when you know, especially if you have a newborn, oh, my God, oh, you know, geez, think, of, think yeah. of what kind of lack of sleep you get and stuff like that. Oh, jeez, yeah, yeah. But I, I will say this, I don't know if I could have been as good a writer or as, um, a, you know, as, as facile a writer if I had young kids running around the house. Right. You know, because, because you're right. You're right. Yeah, so... Wow. So it's it's always interesting to see what somebody's method is, and and mm-hmm. you know kids, uh, relationships, 
You know, some people even have jobs where they're on call, so you don't know when you're going to get called and things oh, like man. that. Oh, man. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I, I, you know, it's interesting to hear what what someone's process is. Hang on a second. You're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. And uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, hey, try to show up on a Friday for once, okay? That would be really good. Let us know what you think. Ask some questions in the chat room. Um, tonight's special guest is uh, Cortez R. Law III, when you use the whole name. He's written uh, a number of books. Um, film noir, he's uh, now kicked it into sci-fi drama, speculative fiction drama. And uh, you, you have process, you have a history. Um, what kind of feedback do you get from your fans? Well, uh, if the reviews are, are uh, any indication, it's very positive. Um, mm-hmm. From characters being gripping uh, to suspenseful drama in terms of the plot line, uh, I had one uh, reviewer say that uh, this should be a movie. I said, well, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, yeah, from characters to the story, um, just it's been critically acclaimed. It's been wonderful, and that's 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 one of the joys of doing this too. You you get the joy out of out of uh yeah you get the joy out of completing a project. But you you know I hope there's some joy, and it certainly is for me while you're in the midst of it too. But when you get to that end of the process, and then it goes into the marketplace, and then you get the feedback from reviewers or from people that have bought it and their fans and their oh it's 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 great. It, it makes it worth it. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Cherry on top. And- I suspect that, you know, when somebody says it should be a movie, it, it suggests that the writing was a, ver- a very visual style because mm-hmm. that's something that's immediately noticeable and immediately knowable by somebody who's reading. And, and that may go right back to, you know, your screenwriting days. If, if you're exactly. used to writing visually, then not only is it, is it easier for the person to read, but the other thing about it is it goes faster. Yes. So yes. so when people can read faster, um, not only are they more likely to stick with it, but but it, it, it speaks to, you know, kind of the gripping nature of what it is you've written. So that's kind of cool. So I would think that your screenwriting obviously paid off. Um, if uh, That's a good question to ask you. Okay, so somebody comes to you and says, you know, I'm going to give you – I'm going to give you $250,000 for an option for this book. Mm-hmm. And you say, oh, that's nice money. I could do that. And they go, well, you don't have any creative control or anything. We're just going to get an option so that we could use your title, blah, blah, blah. How do you feel about, about you know, someone else getting control of and, and being able to present your intellectual property with their view and you having kind of limited or no recourse if you don't like what they do? I mean, are you very, very possessive about what you've done in terms of intellectual property or or can you let it go because obviously the commercial concerns are kind of near the top of the list of why you did what you did? Right. Good question. Uh, the nature of the beast of Hollywood is to buy more property than they'll ever put up on the screen, and that includes the little screen as well. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand that going in, don't go in. I mean, seriously. I mean, somebody comes to me and says, hey, and it's, it's funny you actually went this direction as well, William, because – I have actually adapted, and as you talk about a no-no, I've actually adapted uh, some of those uh, X-Men stories into screenplays already. Mm-hmm. So if this, that day ever happens, I will at least be able to present this as a sample, and if they shoot it down, but they still want the rights to the book, 
well, we can still talk, you know, but right. if I can just get first crack at it, say, hey, can, can you want to take a, take a look and see what I've done first? If it's not, you know, your cup of tea, then hire a screenwriter who's more experienced in the business. I have no problem with it. But you know that you need to know that going in. That's how it is in Hollywood. Screenwriter is not people that People don't powerful. know that. Yeah, oh, they don't man, know well, that. I sure know. I sure know. So uh, I, I would go in my eyes wide open, wide yeah. open. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly I was how at a, <laughs> I was at a film network, a film, yeah, a film networking meeting here in Chicago, and Tim Kazarinski, um, oh, you yeah. know, he was in, he was a, uh, Saturday Night Live. Live. That's what he was. Yeah. Yeah, he was the special guest. And and somebody asked him, and I didn't laugh out loud because, you know, I, it, it would have been cruel. But there was a guy there who obviously was trying to get his screenplay sold and, you know, have, get people interested. And he asked Tim Kazarinski, well, you know, when you when you sell an option and they, they start to film your stuff, um, can you put a clause in there where you have to be on on site and you have last right of refusal for you know how they handle your property Ooh, and and, you held and the room got kudos. silent the, oh, the, I know it the did. film got well if you're not Stephen King and even he doesn't give a damn he's not hanging wow. around unless right. they call him and say hey do you want to do a cameo he's not there he sells his uh, his options and then moves on right. Um, and and so the the reality that you already know, which is to answer a question that's in the chat room, someone says, but what if he had no control? You have no control. You right. get no control unless you are very special, unless you are right. really special. Um, really I special. think <laughs> the, dream, the dream option that I've heard about, um, the, the one that I have heard about was, what's his name, uh, Robert Redford. Optioned okay. the Horse Whisperer before it was published, and he paid eight million dollars for it. Ooh, woo. wow! If he's going to do that while it's still being written, how does how does you know his doing that option not kind of color how you write the story? You know what I'm saying? What yeah. if you send him a chapter and he goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Come on now." <laughs> But, but when you got eight million dollars in your pocket, you could probably say, "Well, shoot, yeah, okay, fine, all right." So he yeah. breaks his leg and blah, or whatever happens, you know. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, but but I mean that I mean, I think that's every writer, every novelist or short story writer's dream is to have that kind of interest shown by somebody in Hollywood. But the other part people don't realize is, okay, you 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 get an option, you get the money, but the option's only good for a year. And someone right. may or may there's no guarantee that your stuff no is going to be brought brought to the to the screen, and and the beauty of it is okay. Well, if it's a good idea, and maybe the Hollywood blacklist finds out about it, and they mention right. this is a this is a property that should get made, then you might have three or four people option your work serially and make a lot of money that way, and never see the right. damn thing come to the screen. That's true. So, I that mean, there's, happens. there's so right. much, yeah, and I think that having good expectations is is key because, you know, there are so many people. I'll give you an example. I, I use Ex Libris as my fulfillment house for my publishing because I do self-publish my work. Um, okay. And so they're, they're based in the Philippines. And so when they call, they use some sort of uh, T1 line that goes to Indiana, like they're in, the, like, like they're in Bloomington. All these somehow all these Filipinos are supposed to be in Bloomington. I know better, 
But when they call, <laughs> they are so obsequious. They are so, you know, Mr. Hayashi, oh, we're so sorry you were inconvenienced. Oh, uh, sorry to have you on hold for that 22 seconds. You know, because they're used to dealing with authors, and authors are crazy. Authors are very, well, they are. They're very needy people. We're all desperate. We all want, you know, let's be honest. I think most everybody who's an early author, and let's say somebody who's published less than 10 books, I think we all feel that the attention we get for our books is we look for that validation of worth. I'm not going to lie. I didn't Mm -hmm. think I wrote a good story until like eight months after it had been on Amazon and I saw some reviews because my friends can tell me anything. My friends can tell me anything because they have an emotional buy-in to not make me feel bad and not say, you know, oh, man, you're you're really going to publish this? You know, (laughs) friends will probably never say that to me unless they're a really, really good friend. A really, really good friend will say, no, this is not quite ready. But until other people tell you that what you've done is good or bad, sometimes it takes a little while for you to understand exactly not only what the marketplace is looking for, but how you, how you, you know, were accepted by the marketing marketing place. Mm-hmm. So, um, getting that feedback, I think, is important. But and and for for us needy little trolls who are authors, <laughs> well, come on, dude, you write by yourself. Uh, we're sitting there writing. You're thinking, you're thinking, man, I hope this is good, aren't you? Right, right. Oh yeah. You think, I, I, man, I think I got a great story there. But then if one person says, oh man, that's ridiculous, you go, oh shoot, I, maybe I should have thought this through better. So yeah, uh-huh. it is. It is. Uh, yes, trolls. Yes, somebody says trolls. <laughs> yes, trolls. Um, so anyway, when when you go through that process, well, let me ask you this. I I, I really want to talk to you about the thing that you just mentioned in one sentence about twenty five minutes ago, and and it's it's what I call the eighty twenty rule, <clears throat> and the eighty twenty rule for me is when you're an author. When you don't have a publisher, when you're self-publishing, when you're starting out, when you have not had the luck of the the lightning to hit you, uh-huh. um, your your endeavor is split 20% doing the creative thing of writing, and then the 80% is about the business of doing business. Because essentially, uh-huh. when you become an author, you become an entrepreneur. You've right. started a business. So right. for you... In in terms of, and I don't know if it's eighty twenty for you, but let's talk a little bit about the kinds of things that you once you you had the book where you thought it was ready to go. What did you learn about publishing, you know, from a writer's perspective at that time? Wow. Well, um, multifaceted. Okay, I well, mean, of course it was. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, you have to be marketing. Yeah. You have to be, oh, man. you know, yeah, you have to oh. keep the IRS off your ass if you make it big like uh, Harry Potter. You have to do, you have to hire people if you get really, really big. But yeah. when you're small and you have to do all those individual jobs yourself, right? what, what right. was the biggest surprise to you? Let me ask you that. When you finished that book and said, man, I got a book here and I think I've got it ready for people to read, what were the first few things that you found out that were unexpected to you? Oh boy, that were unexpected. Well, it might it might go back to well, let me see. It might be the genre challenge I mentioned a little earlier too. 
And right. I knew I was doing something that was outside the box. And not having a whole lot of folks that have kind of paved the way. You know, I go back right. to Walter Mosley. Uh, I go back to, um, what's, what's the gentleman's name? Gar Anthony Hurd. That was Gar Anthony Haywood, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only a, only a few. So I, I think just trying to crack that that romance genre, you know, that we're not a monolithic people, that we do have other interests, and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. reading that, you know, different book clubs or different folks say they have that interest in something other than, you know, the romance stories, but then you kind of look and say, well, you know, you look at the, the book of the month or, or, or what, what seems to be doing real well on the bestseller list, it, it's, it's the contrary. So climbing that hill, it's tough for anybody. Let's just face it. I mean, let's just, you know, you out there as an independent, it's tough for anybody. I don't care what your genre is. But just right. knowing that from the start, that, uh, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest hurdle. It's just knowing that how am I going to get a market share with this? That's, that's the challenge. And that's, that's how do you get visibility? Yeah, how do you right, get that, that right. initial visibility right. to get the eyeballs right. to even know that you're there? Right, right. Regardless, like I said, it's tough for everybody. It's tough mm-hmm. for everybody. But uh, especially when you're doing something that's kind of out of the box, kind of out the ordinary, it's like, ooh, boy, okay, you better be ready for it, you know? So I think that was it, the genre, the genre, gaining market share. Like you said, like you said gaining visibility. Uh, that's, that's the big thing uh, and on, on that part of it. The other, another part of it, um, if, you're, if you're talking about this as well, is getting those strategic business partners, you know, um, somebody who can design their cover. Uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm no graphic artist. So I'm like, man, i got to find somebody to do that. Who am I going to find to do that? Uh, how to format your e-books. Like, oh, man, I'm going to pay some money. How, how am I going to do that? And, long, and, and just these simple type of steps, necessary steps, you have to have a cover. You have to have it formatted, you know, and these types of things, along with what I mentioned about the genre. Uh, you mentioned about you know making sure all the things are right with the IRS and making sure you get all uh, all that paperwork right. You, you know you got your DBA mm-hmm. and you're doing all all of that and uh, you know set up your PO box and uh, I mean just just you know it, it a lot of it's fun, but a lot of it is kind of like oh man you know it's like where can, I, where can I pin my next door and put this to the side? It's like no 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 this is the part of it. Now you got that you know I have the option you know but you know if you can you can always write for yourself. But if you want to get out in the right. marketplace, this is what you have to do. You got to do it. It's a part of the process, part of the business. Yeah, I mean, nobody. I, well, okay. Some, I, I had uh, somebody tell me, well, you know, I don't care what other people think. I just write for myself. It doesn't matter if it sells or whatever. I said, oh, so you like doing a diary, right? Right. Exactly right. Exactly. And they so got Jeffrey mad Deaver, at me for saying that. Yeah. Jeffrey Deaver said something similar. So you write for. He said, I don't write for myself. I said, I write for the market. I write for my readers. You know, he basically said the same thing. You know, you know, you just. You're just fine, but just you know, don't take it to the marketplace in that in that sense. I think what you're what you're alluding to, what you're saying there, to that person. Yeah, but uh, and and so the business of doing business, um, what you know, what what kinds of things did you because you learned hard lessons doing this on your own at the beginning? What are some of the things that that you ran into that you would tell other people about to try to avoid? You know, I think the one thing that you or the thing that you mentioned was um, something I learned. You talked about, oh, I got to find someone to do a cover. Well, I'm not an artist, and I couldn't have done a cover to save my life. You know, I I draw Mickey Mouse hands, you know, a thumb (laughs) and three fingers because I can't get it right. Um, So that that was important. How do you find those kind of people in the marketplace? I mean, uh, I got lucky. I got so lucky. A friend of mine was a graphic artist. 
and he did the first cover, the cover for the first book. And he, you know, I told him what I was looking for, and he and he just did it because he heard me talk about it and sent it to me, and said, "Is this what you're looking at?" So I got lucky the first time, uh-huh. um, but but getting the notoriety for someone to want to do your work. I mean, everybody will do work on spec, or at least most artists will do work on spec, but you you want to find a good one. So how do you find a good one? And how do you find one who's going to listen to you creatively instead of just decide, well, he's a writer. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm an artist. I'm going to just do it my way. Um, all of these are big business decisions that, that will affect your bottom line and will affect how how far ahead you can get in the game. So, right, you know, right. when, when, when you... Um, when when you well, how did you find your artist, by the way? You know, I'm thinking for for the for the the homicide books, right? Uh, I'm trying to think now. I think I think what I was doing because budget was tight. I started looking at the the pre-made. Now, for those who don't know, there are pre-made covers out there, and they can range anywhere from I guess what's what's the, what's the website called Fiverr Fever F I V V E R I don't know how you pronounce it. I don't it. know. I'll go, look it I'll go look it up while you talk. <laughs> I think they they can do covers for as little. I mean, real basic stuff for like five dollars. You know, I wasn't going to pay five. I was kind of you know kind of suspect guys. No offense to Fever or Fiverr, uh, folks working through that. But you know, I, I looked at the pre-made first because of budget. I said, okay, maybe I can find something that will speak to what I have in mind for my story. And I just okay. you know, pre-made covers. Put that in the in the in the, uh, in the browser. And, and you and you just you just browse. That's the key word. You browse. I mean, it may be. I think I probably browsed. Oh, jeez. I don't know. Ten, twenty. Well, not that ten. Probably fifteen, twenty, twenty-five sites of folks putting up pre-made covers that could go anywhere from twenty-five to fifty dollars. Some of them were. Some of them were like triple digits. You know, a hundred dollars, hundred and fifty dollars. I mean, the price range is pretty, pretty, pretty widespread. Um, and you just. <laughs> And I'm trying to think now. I, I it was for the, for Kremlin, I had what I, I go into covers. Something so funny about me. I try to put all the story on the cover. That's my mistake. <laughs> you know, well. I, I mean, and you know what? You know what? Though William, you know, what, Kremlin Tide is a real good example. Now, the the person that did it for me did a great job. As we had gone back and forth with different things, you know, one cover that she had, it was a pre-made. I wanted somebody snapped it up overnight. That was gone. I had to go back to the drawing board. Uh, there were some other issues about rights. Maybe she couldn't get the rights to this, this symbol, that symbol. So I had to kind of scratch that cover. Had to go back to, 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 to you know, to the basics again. Um, with with that person, I wind up doing something original, and it cost mm-hmm. me a little bit more. But and she did what I asked. But I look at it now, and, and I, I put too much on the cover. It was busy. It was busy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, was, uh, it is a little uh, busy. I mean, you, you, see, you, you know see what? Now? You well, I'm it? looking at I'm looking at Kremlin Tide right now, and let me yeah, tell you what's yeah, compelling yeah. about the cover. We got the countdown on there: three, uh-huh. two, one, uh-huh. and it makes you want to know. It, you know, right there alone, that meme on the cover makes you want to know what's going on. But you're right that you have you have four major <laughs> oh, yeah, elements on there. Yeah, yeah, but, I did. I, just, just two of them would have been good. You know, siphon is a good example. I got a couple, three elements on it. That's good enough. We're not talking about a right. poster, Bob. Slow down. You know, I'm talking about I'll call myself Bob, my nickname. It's just slow down. <laughs> it's too much. So like I said, she did a great job of putting them on there. But it's like, oh my goodness, I put too much on it. You know, and in cold lick, I was a little more reserved. That was a pre-made. 
okay, I just changed the middle of it. But that was the right. pre-made uh, acid. That's a little more concentrated with its focus and maybe still a little bit more, but it, it, it kind of, they both kind of said what I want them to say. But, again, I always try to say too much. So I really try to go into siphon uh, uh, a lot more focused, uh, a little more breathing room on the cover, let it, let, it, let it have some space, you know, and I think it did a pretty good job in terms of what, what my concept was. And then the designer came through and, and uh, put it together. I think it looks a lot better. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's just it's, 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 it's typing in, you know, what you want, and you just got to do – you got to – you got to you got to browse, you got to search, you got to research, and then it's a trust factor. You know, we we got along well. We communicated via email, and uh-huh. uh, I, I like what I saw from her. And you know, we got that final. I was like, hey, okay, that 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 works. And you know, when you when you, you have success one place, you know, you're going to go back again. And went back to the person again, and she did the second one for me. You know, right. So it it it, it is it's it's work, man. It's work. Uh- I uh, I had three different artists do three different covers, and I got I got so lucky. And and people don't discount luck, don't discount providence, don't discount the fact that something good can happen, even yeah. though we always expect the bad to happen. The first one was a guy, a friend of mine, an IT guy, just like me, but he was an artist. And okay. boom, he did the first one, and it was beautiful. You know, it's uh, wow. and then and then the second one, a friend of a friend. You know who the friend of the friend was? The guy Who's who that? does the artwork for the Walking Dead TV show. Oh, he did no my way. second cover. No, I, I, yeah. no, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Wow, yeah. man. So, and and then the third one, I'm I'm carrying all of my groceries walking down the street because I park at a like a, a garage, you know, a block and a, a block away. So I oh, walk geez. by, and my neighbor has a bunch of people out on the, his front porch. He's a musician. Um, these are mostly musicians there, and one guy does album covers. So we start oh, talking, man. and I, I describe the, 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 the idea, and I, I swear to God, in like five days, he had a rough out of what I had described, you know, and it was gorgeous. Wow, and so man. All, all three of those are luck. You know, I, had I had to do it myself, it never would have gotten done. Um, but but you know what this goes back to? This goes back to what you said about finding your affinity friends and affinity contacts who can either say, "Hey, you know, I know somebody who can do that," or they or they may even do it themselves. And and networking, uh-huh. even as an entrepreneur, I think is an indispensable talent and necessity in order to get a business going. And that's yes, what sir. we are. We're, we're business people. We are yes, entrepreneurs. Sir. We are business people. Um, and so, you know, cold lick doesn't look bad. I'm looking at cold lick right now, and um, <clears throat> excuse me. It, it. I see what you mean by you didn't want it as busy, right? You know, right. and and the um, and and the middle that you did was beautiful. So, I mean, you, again, your concept, your control but still using other people to help you execute. Yes. Um, and, and that's pretty cool. Um, and, and again, it, it just goes back to smart planning. Uh, somebody's looking for your links. Let me give them the search that I did for you so that they could check out your stuff, drop that okay. in. There we go. All right. So, um, oh, I hope that works. Uh, now, 
now that you're a little further along, what were what were some of the easier parts of doing, you know, about the business of doing business? Ah, uh, well, well, the, the formatting. Um, oh, by the way, can I give you a tip? Yeah. Yes, please. Um, a lot of pe- a lot of people don't know. You know, they go, "Oh, yeah, I used to use that back when we were using um, Stone computers." But WordPerfect, <laughs> the Word WordPerfect Suite, automatically has a ebook formatting template for you. WordPerfect. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I, you know, everybody goes, "Oh, I use Word," and I go, "Well, WordPerfect actually is a better toolkit." For writers, and a few people I know have gotten back into it just from my saying so, and they seem to be pleased. But, you know, like you said, uh, the other thing that we want is, you know, if we're not selfish people, even though we are little, you know, selfish little trolls, but (laughs) no, but I, I have no problem with letting people know the easiest way I know how to do something. So, I mean, had you, let's say we had, we had talked, you know, a couple of years ago and I would have said, hey, try this out because it has the template for you to, to do your own ebook, And that cuts down on your cost. It also gives you more control over things. And you know what? When you start doing those kinds of uh, elements for your work, you learn more. You know, yes. you, you, get, yes. you get a better overall grasp of what it is you're doing and what, what the needs are. So yes. uh, that just a little hint for you. I don't know if you want to look at WordPerfect. I'm sure there's ways you could get it for free, which I'm not going to say on the show. But, um, <laughs> but it's definitely worth a look because for me, it's, I think it saves me probably maybe 15% of the time that I spend in trying to write, in formatting, in um, searching and replacing, you know, finding certain terms, you know, I'll, like like I'll go uh, four chapters later from a chapter that I wrote, and I go, what was that district attorney's name? You know, something like that, because uh-huh. I didn't put them in the index. So uh-huh. it's, uh, and, and it also has, um, uh, somebody mentioned here, I was about to say, they have a tool called Grammatic, which helps you with your grammar. Okay. And I don't mean I don't mean your mother's mother or your father's mother. I mean grammar, with an uh-huh. AR. Um, uh-huh. And so it's a it's a good tool. I mean, uh, uh, we we talk about these things uh, for those people who are listening who are maybe don't visit the site as much, but these are the sorts of things that people chat about at the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com site because it it is a pretty supportive you know fraternity of creatives. So. Um, maybe we'll see you around there later on, often, whatever. Um, but but those are, I mean, those are cool that you had, I mean, look at all the things you had to learn. And you did all these on your own because you self-published, right? You had to right. turn it in as a completed pro- product? Right. <laughs> I mean, like a printer? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to have to do. Um and and do you do your you know when you started out now you're obviously on Amazon but were you doing your own fulfillment from the start or did you get on Amazon right away so that you didn't have to send out every book you know from your basement when someone bought one? Oh, interesting. Yeah, my brother's keeper started off. I did my own fulfillment. Um, mm-hmm. What did I get? I think I got a run of just under five hundred. This mm-hmm. is before Create Space, probably before uh, Lightning Source was even thought of, I think, I think. Maybe maybe they were around, maybe I just didn't know about them. 
But right. uh, yeah, that was that was fulfilled when I sent out the envelopes, uh, setting up the tours. Oh yeah, uh, your radio, television. Yeah, I had to do all that. Yeah, I sure did. I had to fill. And then uh, serialist began. That was again. That was that was fulfilled. But that was me. That was kind of a unique situation. I I, I did most of my sales on that with a. Um, a pre pre sale uh, discounted flyer, so that was okay. nothing to do with. I wasn't online with Amazon or Barnes Noble with that one as well. That was more like uh, who I knew and who my family knew and sold it that way. And that short print run that was gone. It wasn't until Kremlin Tide that I started getting online and I finally got a website. And then Kremlin Tide last summer really kicked it off to get me to where I am now in terms of my online mm-hmm. presence. Mm-hmm. And and um. Are you still doing fulfillment, or are you letting Amazon do your do your you know or someone else you know print on demand for you? Yes, uh, yeah, I use CreateSpace, and okay. uh, they they take care of that for me. I now you know I, if 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 I'm you know if I want to you know sell some books myself, you know I can take care of that, and I can do that too. So it's like I do have that option still. That's not totally off the table, but for the most part, yeah, CreateSpace has got me covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and see these are things that we learn along the way. I mean I didn't I didn't know about any of that stuff. You know I wrote the book, um, and uh, I wrote it in 2001. And one of the things that I learned was the catch 22 that uh, if you mention it to if you really want to piss off an agent, go ahead <laughs> and tell them that this is true. The catch 22 in the publishing business is that you cannot get a publisher without an agent because publishers will not talk to authors. But you can't. Mm. But you can't get an uh, an agent until you've published. Yeah, you know that's yeah. the catch twenty two because they don't want yeah. to do the heavy lifting of trying to bring right. a brand new face out because that's very hard. That's expensive, and it costs them money. And and they're about the business of making as cheap money as possible. Right. So I didn't know anything about that. I I actually picked up a an agent who. Unfortunately, just died just a little while ago. Oh no! Um, oh man! Well, you know, old people, man. You know. Um, oh wow! But the, but the thing is, is I knew nothing about that, and I had submitted to some uh, some publishers, and of course, everything gets returned unopened. Um, right, right. And uh, there was so much that I had to learn, and I, I would not represent myself as knowing everything or even a lot. I just know I the things you. that I've run uh, that I've run into, yes, and, sir. and these are the lessons that I learned. And I'm, I'm, from what I hear, you know, you ran into the same thing. Just learning the industry way back when was it's it's kind of a pretty illuminating thing to find out exactly how you know six companies are responsible for the publishing of. Isn't that amazing? Such, Isn't yeah, that amazing? It is. It is. Well, it's like Clear Channel. It's like Clear Channel. You can't find a good radio station anywhere or almost nowhere. You know, you have you have these streaming stations where you kind of make your own music because, <laughs> ra- well, radio's not doing it for people anymore, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, And And then yeah. the other thing is now all of a sudden, well, it's not even all of a sudden. For the last uh, six, eight years, you have the big publishers buying up all the indie houses. Yeah, you know yeah, all the people that you and I use. They're they're buying them up. Um, Ex Libris was bought by Penguin, and then oh, oh I didn't man, know that. The, oh yeah, the the amount of paperwork I had to do. I had to. I've been using the same publicity photo since uh, 2009. 
I own it. The, 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 the photographer gave it to me, you know, free and clear, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And, and, and for this third book in the trilogy, using the same photo for the third time, I had to go and get a release from the photographer what? because they corporate dude, it's corporate. They have rules and most of their rules are designed to be gatekeepers. Okay. They are gatekeepers. What they are is there are rules that are imposed on people to try to get people to not, you know, to, so they, they can say no so that they can right. do as little as possible. So, uh, there you go. Um, but these are the kinds of things that, uh, that I learn along the way. And you sound like you learned along the way. And what a lot of people don't realize when they sit down to write that book is, you know, that that minuscule percentage, that 20% of their time will be writing the book. And right. 80% of their time is going to be trying to sell that same book. Right. And it's tough. Right. Do you use social, uh, social media? Tell us a little bit about that. Is that some part of your, your, uh, your marketing plan? Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm on uh, Goodreads, Facebook. I utilize YouTube, uh, GodTube. Uh, what's the other one? Goodness gracious. I don't use Twitter. I don't think I'd be the interesting 140 characters, so I, I didn't, never touched Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if I could pull that one off or not. Uh, what else? I didn't, actually, you know, this is funny. I didn't know. Well, I had LinkedIn, LinkedIn. But I did mm-hmm, not know mm-hmm. that I had an account with uh, Google Circles. Like, oh, man, it's like it's bare. I said, okay, I got to beef that up. That's kind of funny. I didn't really know I had that. Like, when did I get that? So, well, when you got your Gmail address, they gave you a circle. It's automatic. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it's just like I said, I wasn't even paying attention to it to one day. Like, oh, snap, I got this. Like, what am I going to do? So those are the ones. And I, I really focus up on uh, on uh, Facebook and Goodreads and uh, and uh, YouTube. It's been big with my book trailers. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, those are the big three. And let's talk about your book trailer production. Um, uh, how do you produce those? Uh, well, uh, as cheaply as possible, uh, William. Uh, <laughs> well, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first one, Kremlin Tide, that was actually all still photographs. And okay. I, I managed to find those. I think those were all pretty much in the – most of them were in the public domain, but I did try to sign up for uh, an, an account with one of the uh, you know still photo um, mm-hmm, companies, mm-hmm. whether it's Dreams, Dreams Time or, or Big Stock or something. Uh, Cold Lick was the same thing. Uh, I took a step up with Siphon. I was able to take a step up with Siphon. It was a nice deal I found online. They were offering, uh, was it Big Stock? Uh, okay. They were offering, uh, what was it, 50? What was that deal? It was like, you got, you got the uh, video footage or clips and still photos, something like 25 of those a piece in the course of 14 days or seven days or something. I said, for real? I said, mm, and free? I said, oh. And so I went on there and I, I, I cleaned them out. I cleaned them out because, you know, we're such a, a big visual society now and book trails have become more sophisticated. I don't know how many you've seen or if you look at them on a regular basis. And you can still do a pretty good job with, with still photographs, but uh, it helps if you got that motion. Uh, I'm seeing some of them now where they're hiring actors, and it's like there are many movies, man. I mean, there are really many movies. I'm like, wow, that's like the penultimate. When you start getting live action, right. you, you, you've, that's, that's the penultimate of all, in, in book trailers. But I was able to get that deal and was able to 
combined the still photographs with video footage and and stock footage and took it and it really just raised the game up and uh, I'm I'm getting a lot of views in a very short period of time. I think marketing has a lot to do with it, but uh, I, I hope that people are, are liking it and enjoying it. But just based on that's all you know for book trailers, all you really have if you don't have a lot of um, people saying you know thumbs up on YouTube or they're making comments. You, know, you can only look at the numbers and see and just hope to say, well, I think people are enjoying it. But they're fun. I, I think that's yeah. something for every oh, yeah. book I'll do. I'll, I'll do that for every book. Some, some way or another, some form or another, I'm going to do that for every I just love putting those together. It's really a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I'm grudgingly coming to realize that if I want to do uh, book <laughs> trailers, the way, well, if I want to do book trailers the way I want them done, I'm going to have to learn how to do it myself. And I, I've been trying to avoid that but the other the other part is um well up until i decided screw this i'm joining the 1% um i didn't have you know i was like any other author and wasn't able to rub two nickels together mm-hmm. and and it does it does take money um to do some effective marketing because there are some things that we just can't get for free you know yes. one of the things when when people you know unless you have a certain threshold of followers on facebook basically when you do a new book you're you're screaming at all your friends who already know you did a you you do books. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. You're you're not surpri- you're not surprising them with anything because they already know. Well, you know, William just did another book, or Cortez just did another book because they're all in your circles anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's not the most reliable way of building bigger you know a bigger audience. And so you say to yourself, okay, so how do I build a bigger audience? Well, you you know you have to you have to spend some money. You might have to, you know, get an ad where people are going to see it. You know, I, I got a way that I'm going to do it, but damn, if it's going to cost me like $15,000 for one ad. Wow. 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 But, but I may, but I may get 10 to 20,000 book sales out of it. You well, know, over you the go. next uh, 60 days. Right. But it's still a risk. Wow. It's still a risk. Yeah. Think about spending yes, that is. kind of money. Yes, you know, it is. Yes, it is. Fifteen thousand dollars. I could date somebody with fifteen thousand dollars. Um, so, so um, it, you know, there's a value proposition, which is again part of that eighty percent of doing the business in order to do the marketing. Um, yes, and 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 you're finding, and this is good for other people to hear, but you're finding that being able to get a book trailer out there um, gives you. Uh, additional coverage that helps get your name out to new people. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yes. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people Can't, just love so, that. Yeah, and and people should pay attention to that. Um, Ronald Jones is a, a pretty prolific uh, writer at um, BlackScienceFictionSociety.com, and I think he does a book trailer for every single one of his books. Okay. So, there you go. So there you so go. people yeah so people find value in that. Um, let's let's kind of take a an imaginary journey here for a second. Let's look five years in the future. You know, for you, where uh-huh. do you think you're going to be five years in the future? I mean, are you going to be? Do you see yourself continuing these series and hopefully getting that notoriety? Are you like I am, uh, looking to hopefully get a an option? Done on your work and and maybe getting that film made or that miniseries. Um, what kind? What what? Just you know, in your imagination, where do you think you might be five years from now? 
Well, if if I I, I like the, uh, the the characters, the the genres that I'm in, the characters that I'm I'm writing about. I hope I hope five years from now I'm I'm still doing the same thing. You know, I see mm-hmm. authors that uh, like a Walter Mosley. I see authors who write in the police procedural genre like a Michael Conley or Jeffrey Deaver or, or a lovely child. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, Lee Child and teaches just writes about Jack Reacher, and that's all he writes about. He's got to be up to like 20, 24, 25 books now. I mean, right. so I'm hoping that, you know, there'll be siphon books in the future. I hope there'll be some more excellent homicide books in the future. And no, I'm not saying I wouldn't break off and, you know, write something else in a suspense genre or in a thriller genre or something else in a, you know, a science fiction genre or a fantasy genre. Right. But uh, right. I still think those, those particular series will still be a part of what I do five years from now. And it would be mm-hmm. nice to see it on the big screen, you know, or the little screen, you know, that, you know, that a, a two hour advertisement. Sure. <laughs> that, that'd be great. <laughs> I'll take either one of those yeah, screens. And, that'd be, that'd be the dream. That'd be real nice. And, and even if, you know, like we said before, if somebody takes your work and kind of messes it up, you still get collateral book sales out of that. Oh, absolutely. Because people people want to look at the original uh, material and go, well, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no problem and, with that. And the more people who read it, the less likely they are to mess with your stuff. Because if, that, if that's people are used too. to seeing certain things out of your stories, if, uh, if, if a studio completely messes that up, they're going to hear about it. Right. So, that's so true. definitely there's power in... Um, in, in that kind of uh, notoriety. Um, yeah, you can be popular like that. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, what about, have you ever thought about doing any collaborative writing? You know, has anyone ever approached you and said, hey, man, I'd really like to write in your universe? Or, or have you thought about maybe extending out your creative universe for other people to, to participate in? I really haven't, and I, I think probably the part of that is, even though I have some experience, I'm still young at this, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still kind mm-hmm. of a neophyte. You know, so and, and and you know, my personal nature is, and just I'm pretty independent, so it's just kind of like that seems it still seems kind of strange to even kind of think that way. But uh, because I am still kind of still trying to put my roots down, that wouldn't be something that I would think be a part of a part of what I want mm-hmm. to do. I don't think in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if, allow me to just mention this. The reason why I asked you is one of the things that I want to do is once the third volume of my trilogy is out, and you know it's been out for a while, and people have had a chance to read at least one or two of the books, or maybe even three, <clears throat> is I want to put out a call for authors to do short stories in in my dark side universe. Oh, like and an that way, Yeah, and and expose oh, other okay. people to these other authors writing in that universe. It's just something that I thought of. Oh, okay. And, okay. and I was thinking, you know, Siphon, it gives you that same kind of opportunity because when when you have that premise, that's wide open, dude. That's wide open for other people to think, oh, man, that was good, but what if? Mm, so okay. it's okay. just something to think about. But I, I do okay. understand wanting to keep you, keep your your intellectual property yourself until you know, you're ready to let someone else play in that playground. Right, right, right. But that's that's interesting. It's an interesting thought that you had, though. That's interesting. Mm. Well, you know, if you, can, if you can make more money off of other people, but don't tell anybody <laughs> I said that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Yeah. Um, anyway. 
you've mentioned Walter Mosley and and a couple others. You know, when you started reading in in terms of reading for the genre that you most like, you know, the the the, the detective novels and things like that. You know, did you have when when you thought about it? Obviously, it's it's a well populated genre, but right. who were you looking at um, in terms of you know people who who may have it not only influenced you to look at that genre, but were there people stylistically who you said this makes sense, this feels easy to write in, this feels um, natural, or this feels right? Uh, did you have that those kinds of people influencing you? And if you did, who were they? You know, I think I think the days of writing screenplays. I think I was kind of, if you will, naturally in sync with that hero myth. Mm-hmm. And I think that came from from watching again Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Eastwood, Gibson. You know, and and then when it came to the books, uh, I mentioned, like you said, I mentioned mostly um, uh, Connolly. Child, Deaver, um, they—they—they're the ones. Oh, oh, oh! And I would be so remiss. And I'm reading this book right now. And I've read probably about five or four or five of his books. And I want to read some others. Man, I might have read like six of them. The late Hugh Holton. He was the highest-ranking police commander slash novelist before he passed in 2001. Out of Chicago, as a matter of fact. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. I, I have not, but I'm going to do my research. Uh, he is. He is. I, 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 if I've read that many books by one author, I love you. I mean, he's the mm-hmm. type of person that uh, if I like if I like your material, I'm not. Right. And I know you got a new book coming out. I'm not even going to look at what the storyline is. I'm just going to snatch it up. And this, that's how this guy was to me. And he mm-hmm. was. And it what made him so special too, because he was a an African American man. And you don't have a whole lot of as I mentioned before in this genre. So he right. really stood out, and that's another one of my motivations for being in this genre too. And I mentioned this before too that we're not just a monolithic group. I know we have other interests. It's just it's got to take out of a critical mass of people that write sci-fi and write horror and write fantasy and write a police procedural suspense that that shows that there is a market there, you know. So that was part of my motivation. But those are the type of people on the big screen and uh, in books that influenced me. And, and have you have you gotten to meet any of your uh, your influences any of your heroes? I know you did a ride along with uh, APD, but um, what about what about some of the people who you've written? I just uh, I, I I've met Walter Mosley a couple times because he he's here in Chicago. He's based in Chicago, and he works at uh-huh. Chicago. You know, he used to do some classes and some seminars at Chicago State. Oh, so wow. I, I I met him at, at those, talked to him there, and then. I paneled with him at uh, Florida A&M oh, for cool, their sir. literature fest in um, in February. So that was that's oh, this cool. year. The, yeah, this year. Wow. And he um, he wrote something. I think he wrote it on the plane coming down. <laughs> and and it was it was so. I mean, it just made me it made me go. Well, no, I really shouldn't even be in the auditorium as an author. <laughs> Behind oh, that, wow. behind I'm serious oh, because uh, his, his his faculty with words was oh yeah it, 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 you know when you when you see someone else who does it so well 
it it depressed the hell out of me. And they're they're honoring me at the, at the literature fest. I'm going, no, no, he's a writer. I'm he's an author. I'm a I'm you know I really should be doing weekly reader for kids or something. I feel you, Will. Yeah. So um, and and I met uh, and Tanana Reeve Dew was there as well. She was the other headliner. Oh, Miss Dew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I've yeah. I've, I inter- I've interviewed her and her husband on this show. So Stephen Barnes. Um, yeah, Stephen was not there. He was taking care of the kids because I okay. think they had colds. This was the uh, oh, end of February. Okay. But uh, Tanana Reeve was there, and I met her father. Her father is um, an um used to teach there, and he, he was big in the civil rights movement. So I thought, oh, wow. I mean, it's it's kind of cool when you meet these people, and then in my case, when I go, yeah, I, I you know, well, what do you do? Well, uh, well I'm, you know, I do some janit- janitorial work. Um, I'll be picking up all the flyers, and, uh, yeah, uh, can I get you some more water? You know, yeah, just and, leave the gum under the seat. I'll get it later on. Yeah, just don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and so it's, it's it's fun reading them. And then you know, obviously, we all dream that one day, you know, the 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 Walter Mosley of maybe the next ten years might be you or might be me. You know, uh-huh. um, but but the thing is, is again, when you think about how lightning can strike. You don't know if somebody good is or bad is going to be the next big thing. Right. So I think right. that I think that keeping that in mind should help people maintain, you know, even if they don't get a lot of encouragement at the beginning, you don't know, you know, right. and, and to That's keep right. pushing. If you were going to tell people the best lesson you've learned as an author, what would it be? Oh, it's going to be a cliche. It won't be an original one, but perseverance. Perseverance. Yes, you really do. You just like you just you just said it. And you said it all night. You know, there are not a whole lot of one shot. I don't want to say one shot wonders. That's kind of the opposite. But the lightning in the bottle, they, they, it doesn't happen all the time. I mean, right. for them, they did have to complete a project. You know, they had to complete a project. They had to put a cover on it. They had, they had to get it edited. They had to, you know, they had to be formatted right. I mean, you know, so so perseverance. You know, and. uh I'm gonna say I was gonna say you gotta know that you know, but you know that 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 might ain't be totally not not might not be totally accurate either, you know. Cause, right. Uh, you know, there's different motivations for people, you know, why they write or why they do anything, but uh, just not giving up and 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 not being afraid to ask for help, do your requisite research, learn your craft. I mean, I'm not saying anything original, William. I'm just, I'm not. I, I you know it's just, that's what it is. That's the nuts and bolts. Know your craft. And everything that entails, do that. Get help where you need to get help. Do what you can. Farm out what you can't. And just stick with it. And, and give yourself a break. I, I wrote to somebody tonight on the Facebook page in a group who was going through writer's block. And I said, look, mm-hmm. basically I said, don't beat yourself up. Get away from it. Do something else. And I told you about the time I take between drafts. I said, that's what I told her. I said, just right. get away from it. Just, you know, I, said, I also say, hey, write a poem. Uh, you know, just do some short stuff. Just do something. Write a letter. If you just have to put some, you know, words on paper, do that. But basically, just get away from it for a while and then come back at it. You just need to take a break. Your creativity will still be there. You just need to get that right side of your brain some time just to relax for a little bit. That's all. That's all it is. I said, unless you're under a deadline or something, you're under a gun, then, well, you know, you're going to have to, you know, you might push have to through. kind of push, push through. through. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. I um I did something rude to somebody. I uh when I was writing the first book, I did have writer's block, and for like four or five days, I couldn't do jack. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I I thought editing some earlier stuff would get me back in the groove. And I was on the phone with somebody, a friend of mine from um, out of state, and she and I were oh, talking okay. about you know the writing process and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, bam! It hit me. What I, you know, the writer's block was gone. I knew what I had to do. I hung up on her. It was so rude. It was so, I mean, she understood and everything, but I said, I got to go, boom. And I, I, that, that night I wrote three chapters, but, but it was so rude. It was so bad. And, and, she, and I called her back a few days later, and, and she picked up the phone. A she was just laughing. Liam, a few days, a few days later. I, dude. Dude, I, you know, I admit it. it. It was bad all the way around. And so when she answered the phone, she was laughing. She said, all better all better now? And, and I just bust out laughing because, you know, she obviously do. Good but, friend. Now, know, she's still a friend. I hope she's still a friend. Yeah, she is. She, oh, that's she's good. a friend. That's, uh, that's good. That's good. But, but she understood. I mean, she understood yeah. the process. Yeah. And and again, we're we're not. I don't think that at that level of creativity, we're not very much like other people. And 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 if you try to explain to somebody, like people ask me, well, where did you get your story? And I go, well, I came up with the story because I I wanted to write something big and I wanted to write something different. But that doesn't explain where I got the story from. You know, where does uh-huh. how does somebody figure out black folks secretly living on the moon before Neil Armstrong got there? How do you come up with that? Now I have a theory for myself. You know, I did I did enough drugs in the seventies to probably buy a couple of houses. Okay. And maybe okay. maybe that helped the cre I, I swear to you, I have told people that maybe that's where some of that creativity came from. But okay. that's 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 the inexplicable part of what we do. You know, where where does that creativity come from? I've had people say, you know, I dreamt this thing. And then when they dreamt that thing, they turn that thing into a whole novel, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and so, so where, where, where does that creativity come from? I couldn't tell you. Um, and, and for you, you, you're very procedural about where your creativity comes from. You like these genres, you right. like how these people act in these situations and, and the whole convoluted nature of crimin- criminality. Uh-huh. Um, th- there's infinite, infinite um, possibilities in that because, you know, if we, you pick up a, or you, you, go, you log on to one of these news sites, you go to CNN and you go, oh, well, here's a, here's a recent one. Here in Chicago, they have recovered body parts of, of a, a child who's like, oh, they no. say between three and five years old over behind the, uh, over on the west side at one of the lagoons. Okay? Oh, so, I mean, that's horrific anyway. But right. Somebody dismembered a child. Right, right. And, and, right. and since it's reality, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, if you can tell a story about how someone that twisted got to the point where they are, and it's a good story in terms of, you know, being compelling in its telling. Um, people will read about it because, you know, we have a fascination for things that we can't understand. I, I, I can't understand. I can't wrap my head around somebody who would do something like that. 
I'm with this you. This is why people, you know, they wrote all these books about Son of Sam, about the Zodiac Killer, about yeah, yeah. Uh, Ted Bundy, you know, because people would go, what about Jeffrey Dahmer? What the hell is going on in your head that you could be eating people and not right. know that something's wrong with your ass? Oh, you know, man. That's, oh, how do you not know, oh, gee, not maybe know? I need some help. Yeah. So yeah. you've got you've got a very fertile ground from which to mine, you know, great stories and, um, you know, interesting situations. And, and I, you know, I can't help but think that you're going to do very, very well. Um, if, if you were going to branch more into the science fiction part, um, what, what kinds of stories do you think, would you still be looking at, you know, crime stories, but with, you know, a speculative bent? You know, you've got Siphon out there. Yeah, 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 and that's got the military bent. So I'm, I'm like I said before, with the with the with the sequels, I'm definitely not through for that. Through with that, that that type of a, a hybrid. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's not out there wrong, the impossible putting a crime bent on the on the sci-fi. I'm still locked in on these uh, these military guys right now, but yeah, I, I can see myself doing something like that. I could. Mm-hmm. I'm. I really could. I'm doing my first. Um... It's a collaboration with uh, someone at BSFS, but I'm doing my first crime sci-fi novel when we get back to it. Oh, and boy, uh, right. essentially, we're going to have people uncovering criminality by putting their personalities on the on the internet. And I know okay. you know people are going, "Oh, don't tell people! Don't tell people!" Well, it's not that big a damn deal. <laughs> um, but but it's such a beautiful way of finding crim- criminal behavior. I mean, look look at all these people like, uh, what's his name, Mitt Romney, who are hiding their money overseas. And oh, and yeah, finally, yeah. you know, when the IRS had an amnesty program, he bought it back. Well, what if you had a means of putting your personality, you know, or, or finding it, finding out all of those crooks who are doing things, the rent control guys in New York, the... Um, the white supremacists out in Idaho, what if you had a way of, you know, figuring out through the Internet how they're doing what they're doing and catching them at it? You know, that's uh-huh. I think that's a good idea. We'll see, I'll see uh-huh. how what I do with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how you come through with that one, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what my current one, I'm almost done with it. I'm within two chapters of being done. tells a story which takes place in the future of how to make – um, white cops stop killing innocent and unarmed black folks. Ooh, talk about topical. Wow. Well, it's timely. Ooh, you know. Yes, it is. But again, I, I'm, I'm, I meet the same challenge you were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, so I finished the book. How do I get eyes on it? And I probably, I'm, I'm going to have to do it in some other name because I don't want any crazy cracker waiting around my house and shooting me. But the threshold is still, you know, no matter what creative endeavor you're at, how do you get attention when you have, let's say, you know, a third of the population out there or maybe half the population out there, you know, wanting to be such media whores so that they can get that information and not or get that attention and not necessarily in a good way. You have these people doing these horrific things in theaters and, and schools yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and you know, they the psychologists say, well, part of the component was the notoriety. Well, that's an effed up way to get noticed. 
you know, and that's, yeah. that's a terrible way to be remembered. But but what is it in somebody's head that makes them want to do that? And I think right. that you know you you exploring those kinds of ideas gives you a lot of ground to write in. And uh, you know true. I wish you great success in the future, man, because it looks like looks like you're doing well, and it looks like you're going to do well. Well, I appreciate um, those words of uh, of encouragement. I really do. Never get tired of oh. hearing that. I appreciate it. And All right, too, yeah, well, you, you know, you too. can always catch me online, and I'll go ahead and I'll shoot them to you, you know, once a month or so, whatever you need, okay? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you who are listening live, I want to thank you for being here. It's always great seeing people in the chat room, seeing people show up. For those of you who pick this up as a podcast, um, you know, consider maybe dropping in on a live show and seeing the kind of things that people say when the show's going on. Um, I want to thank everybody who listens, everybody who participates, and everybody who makes this show a joy. You made this very easy for me, Cortez. I mean, this was really easy for me to do. I mean, I didn't have to work very hard at all. So thank you very much for being here. And oh, no probably problem. have you on have you on in the future. And uh, oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, one of the things uh, that we're going to try to do here is get Jarvis in to close it out because for the last. I think most of the summer he was busy, I was busy. You never knew when somebody was going to show up. So hopefully Jarvis will uh, pop in and, and give us his uh, his goodbye. I want to remind people, oh, oh, there he is. Okay, Jarvis. Love, peace, and hair grease. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take that a first? Was that, was that Franklin Ajay? Uh, Franklin Ajay who said that That sounds first? about I don't right, remember. too. <laughs> yeah, back in the 70s. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 70s. Well, I want to thank everybody for participating in the show. I'm sure that everybody walked away with some new information that they could really take home and, and apply. So, Cortez, thank you for sharing your resources and your experience um, with publishing. And, Will, thanks for making it entertaining, as always. And most definitely, all of the people that participated in the chat and the people that are going to listen to this show in um, in in uh, repeat. So I want to thank everybody, as always. Uh, continue to share this show. Continue to come back. And um, we would love to have you over on the main site and on BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. We have events. We have videos. We have forums, blogs. You name it, it's there if it's related to black science fiction and it's good stuff. That's what we do, uh, black science fiction. Um, Thank you again. And um, anybody have any questions, comments, or concerns? No, um, but Cortez, stay stay dialed in after the the recording in case anybody has anything that we really shouldn't be talking about in in public, okay? (laughs) All right. Thank you again. I'm going to close it out. (laughs) Thank you, Jarvis. All right. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.